The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. And by Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Also home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor, and The Trip, wise relationship advice with hosts Megan Slattery and Tracy Evans. All found at DeadlineDetroit.com. Hey everybody, happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Thank you so much for being with me and thanks for everything over the last few days. I heard from a number of you and uh, really, really got a good vibe from everybody and um, thank you. That's all I want to say. All right, well, that's not all I want to say. I got a lot to say. It's a show today. So tonight, Mayor Duggan will be delivering the State of the City Address. And of course, this is an annual event in which the mayor gets an opportunity to lay out his vision for what he wants to accomplish over the next year or two. And tonight, it looks like the mayor is going to speak a lot about opportunity and making sure that more people are participating in the city's recovery and also that the neighborhoods are getting the attention that they deserve. So we'll talk a little bit about that tonight. And if you want to watch it tonight, but you don't want to watch it by yourself, there is a watch party going on hosted by a group called Citizen Detroit. Citizen Detroit, of course, is an organization headed by former Detroit City Council member Sheila Cockrell. She's been doing this for quite a while. They're all about community engagement and getting people involved in the conversation about what's going to happen next in the city. Again, it's at McShane's Pub in uh, Corktown over there. It's going to be taking place tonight right when the speech is going on. There will be games and I think some trivia and also some, some good discussion that's going to be taking place around the speech, and it's an important thing. Well, last week we were at the Detroit Policy Conference, uh, which of course is hosted by the Detroit Regional Chamber, and I had an opportunity to sit down with Sheila Cockrell and have a conversation with her about community engagement, about what citizens need to do to be more engaged and involved in the decisions that are shaping their neighborhoods right now. Here is that conversation with Sheila Cockrell of Citizen Detroit. And I've been talking to all kinds of people today, and I'm always excited uh, when I get a chance to talk to my friend Sheila Cockrell, of course, former member of the Detroit City Council, now the CEO of Citizen Detroit. Uh, you've been involved in all kinds of things and, and still civically active. Welcome to the show. It is, like I said, always a pleasure to talk to you, Sheila. Thank you, Craig. It's delightful to be here. I'm glad I'm glad you're in this world. Well, and, and I should let folks know, my earliest days as a cub reporter were spent covering this woman while she was on Detroit City Council, <laughs> and Marianne Mahaffey and uh, Mel Rabbits, and also right. the other people who were there. Clyde Cleveland was on the council yep. at the time. Those are some interesting days for sure at the very tail end of the Young administration. Yes. Um, and, and I sort of want to open with this. Take a look at where we are today. We're talking about what Detroit's going to be like in 2030 a lot sure. today. But when you look at Detroit 2019 compared to Detroit 1992, um, how are you feeling about things? I mean, we've been through a ton, and we're sure. starting to see the curve turn a little bit, but how are you feeling about where Detroit is right now? I think it's a, I think, first of all, change is always hard and uncomfortable, disquieting, um, and that this is a period of rapid uh, and intense change, um, and that, that it has both the highs and, you know, and the, the, the lows, if you will, of that kind of a process. But I think it's really, really important to keep the narrative clear that if um, Coleman Mayor Young had not initiated the policies that he initiated, tried to bring some fiscal discipline uh, to city government in the early 1980s, had the, um, had the 
investments that were made uh, by Henry Ford II and then the Renaissance Center by the Illich family and the Fox Theater that, that what we have today would not have been possible, that there's sure. a foundation uh, and then what was done in the Archer era in terms of building uh, three casinos and two stadia, that all of that is the foundation on which uh, today's opportunities rest. And I mean, so I, I, I can get a little snarky, well, even more so more than that, when you know people will say things like, "Well, in 2000 and you know 2000 in Detroit, there was nobody downtown." And my thing is, look, pal, what am I, chop liver? I've been downtown a good portion of my adult life working. You just didn't see me. It's your issue that you did not see those of us who were here before either you got here, before you came home, or before you woke up. Let's talk a little bit about that, because there is, and I don't want to call it defensiveness. I mean, we saw this with the Shinola episode the other day at the Oscars, right? When you have, of course, Peter Farrelly, uh, who won an Oscar, saying, hey, Shinola watches, they're saving Detroit. Right. We collectively, everybody's like, right. hold off on a second. And right. I'm like, well... I don't know if they asked for that or not, but Shinola no. then finds themselves in that spotlight. Sure. And getting bashed again because right. we are fiercely defensive of the fact that, you know, hey, there are a lot of people who were here a long time and they weren't seen. Are those voices getting stronger than they yeah. were in the past? I mean, and are people more, do they recognize better that those people have been overlooked too long? Yes, I think there's a higher level of consciousness about the fact that, I mean, it's sort of, there's different ways to look at it. When the city started going to bankruptcy, one of the things I would say to the folks in Oakland County was, you know, y'all need to pay attention here because you can't be a suburb if there's not a city. The city that makes you <laughs> well, tell the that suburb. To Brooks, but you know, yeah, well, <laughs> uh, separate conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you know, so you get, you've got to have you can't you cannot have a viable downtown without neighborhoods, and you can't really have viable neighborhoods without a downtown. So there's there's on, on, on all, around the various divisions, and in southeastern Michigan, in Detroit, we have made division an art form. If there's a way to get divided, we can find a way to do it. So understanding that there's always two experiences, two points of view, understanding that they both need to be respected is important. Well, let's take a look, though, which you've been doing for the last several years, is trying to get people to communicate with each other, talk mm-hmm. to each other, get engaged, find out what's happening in their right. community. And, you know, we always talk about this two Detroits narrative, but it's it's dozens of Detroits. I mean, if you really think about the different experiences that people have here in this community, are we getting better at, at not being as divided about this kind of stuff? Or is there always going to be this haves and have-nots conversation? Well, I, I think for southeastern Michigan, the issue that has yet to be de- faced squarely is that of racial segregation, white privilege. We just, it's not a comfortable comfortable conversation. We're hoping this year in, in 2019 or in 2020 to begin a city suburb dinner and dialogue uh, around a common issue and sort of look at whatever that issue is from the points of view of people who live in the city and people who live in whatever suburban community we, we, we go to work with uh, and to understand to then be able to identify <clears throat> how much it is that we that people share in common and identify what are the things that are that separate folks i think that's an important conversation that that we need that there needs to be a much more systematic approach to it in general though i do think that business interests um, 
and sort of institutional interests and philanthropic interests have have really kind of now on it's not lip service being paid to the fact that people who've been entrapped who've been trapped in multi-generational structural poverty and operated in the frameworks of spatial isolation that that reflects um, that we can't let we can't leave people behind that Detroit the you know the next Detroit doesn't work if there is this huge gap and huge division I think it's a genuine commitment or you know a genuine vision and we'll see if the commitment to that vision produces the kind of investments uh, in in um, workforce development um, you know, training in improving Detroit Detroit public schools like right now personally I think if somebody wants to do a wants to do a development of any sort in Detroit your community benefit one of the prime community benefit um, elements that you should agree to is putting significant money into the fund the 500 million dollars that the DPSCD needs and has nowhere to get yeah there's the, the, there's the legislature's no going to have to allow them to borrow money and they're not right. about to do they're that not gonna, so let's get if, we, if, if if Detroit's going to really make it fully to its to to you know to fulfill its destiny the educational system has to be improved and the first step will be for everyone to contribute to create that 500 million dollar fund to go into these buildings systematically one by one and fix them up and make them a school that you'd want your kids to go to if you didn't live a great example of what you're talking about took you know we just witnessed this in jefferson chalmers not too long ago Uh there's been a number of planning meetings for the strategic neighborhood fund Mm -hmm. over there and they want to fix up the streetscapes and the business and the and the and the business strips in some of these districts but when you actually got to the meetings and, and city planners are there and some of the folks, you talk to a bunch of the residents, they're like, hey, reopen our school. Right. Nobody's going to move here if they don't have a place to send their kid to school. And mm-hmm. I think there's one charter school that's on the other side of Jefferson from sure. that neighborhood right now. Uh-huh. Um, that school is there. Mm-hmm. It's vacant. They said, well, or turn it into a community center, something. But yeah. that's not part of the plans. And the city can't dictate what DPS does with the buildings that they own. But it's a fundamental disconnect between what the residents actually want to see in their neighbors to keep them there and attract new people and what the city has envisioned. It doesn't mean the city's wrong. Right. But how do we bridge that communication gap? Well, I think in, in some cases, like, you know, I chaired the Neighborhood Advisory Committee that negotiated with Ford around the Michigan Central yeah. statement, uh, stating, um, Station um, Community Benefits Agreement. And one of the things that became very clear is that when, 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 when the community comes forward and says, here's what I want, that people in the community, we all need to be clear as community members, what's aspirational and, gee, wouldn't it be wonderful, we'd love to, and what is it that is a realistic ask that's going to create an opportunity for the widest range of benefit. So for something like in a school, school, one of the first things that I don't, and I have no idea what kind of due diligence was done, sure. but what are the, um, what's the school age and preschool age and it's not population? There. It's not right, there. Right. But they think it would be. If, if you build it, they will come is kind of the, the, the but, mantra. But, but yes, but that become, that's a strategy that a, that a school district, and I've talked to no one about this, just me, that a school district where you've got to make real choices, you have a building that has mold and mushrooms growing in a classroom, 
and you have a wonderful and aspirational idea that if we take an empty building and we reopen it as a school, the children will come. That's those are the kind of tough decisions that policymakers and you know and the, and the elected members of the board have to make. And so, as important as it is that voices in the community be heard, there, the the voices have to have the the be backed by data. That, that's been part of what you've been trying to do for a long yeah. time. And when you and Urban Reed started started all this kind of work, right? Right. Um, it was about citizen engagement, yes. informing citizens about what their real choices are. Here's right. what's realistic, here's what's not. And, of right. course, all this was born as we were getting ready to go into bankruptcy right. and everything else. Um, delivering bad news and realism to people right. is not always an easy thing to do. It's not popular. It's not popular. <laughs> and and people want to be engaged. They want to be listened to. But right. at the same time, when you say, hey, you've got that, that sounds great. It's just not realistic. It's never right. going to happen. That's that's a tough thing for them to hear. Absolutely, and, part, and one of but the other But how do you make them realize is, that, well, that that reality well, is not necessarily the worst thing in the world? It's just not what you thought you wanted. Right, and, I, and again, I think one of, one of the issues is is that people, part of what citizens, what we as, in, as sort of as members of the community, have to, the political culture has sort of encouraged the notion that citizens' voices being heard means that whatever a group of citizen in any, citizens in any given situation says should happen. That is not realistic. That doesn't happen in a family. You don't, you know, the kid that's the loudest that demands X, you don't say, oh, okay, fine, we're going to let the other two, they can't have ice cream, you get the whole, the whole, no, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way um, in, 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 in your organizations. So it's, we, this notion of of making sure that there's democratic participation, that there's transparent processes, facilitation too, though. I mean, yes. you know, it's somebody that's actually helping people navigate the reality yes, of this. Yes, a hundred percent. That's and very that's critical. something you've been doing. Yes. Well, yeah, and I mean, I love doing it, and I think. But there aren't a lot of people qualified to do that. <laughs> well, I mean, it, you know, part of I was on city council for sixteen years. For sixteen years, the one thing I heard consistently from residents was. I just want the facts. I know there's everybody says all this stuff and you feel emotional and you get mad or you get happy or you get, but I just need the facts. So my thought, my approach to being a, you know, a public servant was I got to start with the facts and then my, my, your values, your experience uh, will, will assist you in arriving at a decision, but you've got to start with the facts. And so it, and God knows in this political environment, facts have truly gotten lost um, uh, at the national level. People are hungry for facts. I, with Citizen Detroit, the level of engagement we're getting, the last time I saw this kind of in, you know, in sort of incipient grassroots interest in what's going on is the 1960s. People are like, wait, what is going on? I need to understand this. I want to be able to be informed so I'm making a good decision about a policy, about a person that's running for office, whatever it is. One of the things that Mayor Duggan has been talking about consistently since taking office is, look, and he used to tell this to been, you know, when we be in meetings, right? So, mm-hmm. look, what we're going to be dealing with as we get certain things back online and get them to a bare minimum of where they need right. to be when it comes to garbage, lights, right. police response, things like that. He's like, look, we're going to be dealing with rising expectations. Right. And how much of this citizen engagement that we're starting to see percolate is due to this notion that, all right, there's a possibility that if I make enough noise, we can actually get something done here. Uh, squeaky wheels do get more grease. Yes. And I, I, I think that's part of it. But I also think there's 
a sense on the part of a growing number of people that 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 how how central it is to be an active participant in your democracy in American democracy there's a there's a political climate that if you had said to a lot of people before the um, the last presidential election that we would all be dealing with what we're dealing with now, <laughs> yeah. you would have said you are smoking bad weed and you are like on crack. No one would have said this is what's coming down the road. And I think in that environment, people are like kind of looking up and saying, wait, I need to pay attention. We're getting questions like, could you work into some of the sessions? Like, let's just do... Give us some like a refresher course on civics. Who's got what role? Who's supposed to be doing what? And this, I mean, this is, and this is people. These are competent, right people. But you know, who last time you paid attention to basic civics? Right now, you really do need to know what does a governor do? What does a mayor do versus a council and the state legislature? Let alone a president. Who's and responsible Congress? for fixing this particular road? I mean, right, that, exactly. that's one of those things. Is right. that, do I call the county about that? Do right. I call the city? Do I, I mean, call you the have state? People assume that the roads are a city problem. Well, no. There's a whole bunch of them that are county responsibility, and then there are state responsibility, and then there's city. Well, I, I always love to give council members an opportunity to talk about this. <laughs> I think people overestimate what their council members are actually responsible for and what they can actually get done. I I was I got to put this out there. I won't say who did it, but one of the council members came up to me today and said they missed me at the land bank because I used to take their calls and try to fix their stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's like, we miss you. And I said, mm-hmm. okay. Sure. Um, but... You know, they're a legislative body. They're not the ones that they cannot call up a department head and say, you must fix this. Right. They might be able to put a little indirect pressure on there or ask about it in session, but they don't have the power to do as much as I think yeah. residents think they do. And, and honestly, part, part of the culture of city council over the years has been to embrace this idea of we, we, we speak for the people, blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the day, the city, uh, city council, it is... It's not a pure legislative body. Think yeah. about it. Yeah. A pure legislative body appropriates funds. It does not f- sign off on contracts. Sure. The city councils, and this one, and ours, ours too, is a There's a watchdog. Of, there's a watchdog. There's a watchdog. No, no, but it's also a board of directors function. Very true. In addition to a, a legislative function. There is a legislative function. There's a board of directors function. And there's an oversight function. And most importantly, there's a budgetary function. It, when you control the budget properly exercised, you have enormous power over how services get delivered. Mayors, mayors appropriate or, or you know, uh, appropri- put together an appropriations plan, and they bring it to the city council. The city council says, "Yes, we're going to do this," or "No, we're not," or "I want to see this change or that change." And if you can get to five votes. You can, you could, um, absolutely alter the shape of, of a service delivery system by how you allocate dollars. I don't, I don't think I've seen that in, done by a city council in 50 years. But the power to do that is, is there. Is there? I, I get a couple more questions for you that I, that I want to get to, um, and we're rewriting the charter again. Necessary or not? I think it was a, it was an oversight that either the Charter Commission in 12 didn't like extend it for 18 years or that City Hall, Mayor and Council, Corporation Council, didn't address this issue uh, before it was too late, so it had to go on the ballot. Um, A charter, but the thing, I think one misnomer right now is that 
people who take the view, oh, it's this Charter Revision Commission, we must revise the Charter. Yeah, you no, know, you don't. To. You can look at the Charter and say, really doesn't need a lot of revision. There may be a few amendments that we're going to endorse asking the City Council to put a series of amendments on. There's not, there's no requirement for wholesale, um, wholesale um, revision. Personally, the creation of the third rail of government that was put in the 2012 Charter has not been fully vetted or experienced okay. yet. So I think this is kind of the wonky policy. That's all right. That's what we do here. Um, you know, it would make more sense to give it more time. As a matter of course, I, I think having, having three entities um, who are not who are not no, no longer responsible to the executive. The Corporation Council can right now, as the third branch of government, can literally stop what elected, uh, elected officials decide. That is fundamentally undemocratic. And we had that happen with Crystal Crittenden in the Bing era because mm -hmm. she didn't like the consent agreement that was the precursor, the forerunner to the, um, the um, attempt to do the... To, to not to have an emergency manager sure. in, who knows what might have happened if she hadn't stopped that, taken everybody to court, because time was of the essence. Oh yeah. But but to me that was that was that would have never happened in the previous charter. So there's things in this charter that need to be understood better, and they should have had more time to be vetted. But we are where we are, and what we need is a reasoned uh, understanding of the history of charters. I mean, let's under let's remember what a charter is about. You got a charter from the state. Cities are creatures of state government. Yeah. A home rule city um, city is also covered by the Dillon rule. You cannot just, this notion that, well, we're a home rule city, we can do what we want. No, you can't. You can only do what the state government says you can do. Well, last question for you, and yes. I appreciate it. Um, for anybody that's listening to this podcast, Citizen Detroit, what do you need from them to make your organization more successful to, 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 to meet the goals of, of what you're trying to do? Sure. I think more people involved in more conversations is really what's important. The more Detroiters are talking to each other and with each other and, we're, and, our, and we are um, comparing experience, are challenging each other's myths, we all have there's a whole mythology that we as Detroiters have. There's mythologies that suburbanites have about the city. Everybody has a story that reflects their family, their tradition. And it's time to have some of those conversations out loud. And let's bet what is, what's, what sort of mythology and what's actual fact. And, at a, at a, and, and then, then how do we use that experience to understand the current policy issues and make informed decisions about policies as well as about who it is we uh, the, the elect and vote for. And the major thing is vote. There's nothing, I don't care how much it's Tweedledee and Tweedledum, pick one. Because whichever one wins is going to reflect most, most likely the values of the people who voted for them. You, when you do not participate democracy withers and if there's anything in this city in this country that we need to be protecting and defending right now as 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 as, as much the the tradition of democracy has been freighted by racism and slavery it's still the best way for ordinary people to have the loudest voice and what how, how our lives are lived and participation is absolutely essential 
2020 to vote and 2020 census. Be counted. Every single person in Detroit has to be counted because it's going to affect congressional districts. It's going to affect how dollars flow to the city. Absolutely essential. Well, and we're expecting the mayor to be talking about that a little bit later yep. on in the program today. But Sheila Cockrell, again, the website is citizendetroit.org. Find out what you can do. Find out what you need to know. Find out how you can get involved and, and really help out this conversation and make sure that we're all making better choices. Right. Sheila, we really appreciate you being with us. Thank you. Appreciate it, Craig. Sheila Cockrell joining us here on the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Hey, everybody. Thanks for checking out the Craig Folly Show on this Tuesday. Tomorrow, we'll take a deeper dive into what Governor Whitmer is proposing when it comes to fixing the damn roads. She, of course, unveiled a plan to raise gas taxes by 45 cents in phases over the next few years. We'll talk a bit about what that might mean for your wallet and some things that the legislature might be able to do to actually make that pinch a little bit less noticeable. Auto insurance reform, anybody? That's all going to come up on tomorrow's program. And, of course, some other information that I gleaned from the Detroit Policy Conference this week. Talked to a lot of interesting people there. So stay tuned all week. I'll have some of those interviews mixed in throughout. In the meantime, thanks for checking it out today. We'll be back tomorrow. I'm Craig. Have a fantastic night. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services.